Well, once again, it is so good to be with you. If you would open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. One of the things I often like to tell or remind my students uh, at RUF at Oklahoma State is what is preaching? We hear it every week, sometimes multiple times a week, but what is it? Well, what we believe in our Reformed theology is that preaching, when it is according to God's Word, it is God's Word. That's what one of our confessions says. Paul actually says in Romans chapter 10 that, that whenever we hear someone speak the Word of God to us, it is as if we hear the voice inside of the voice. We hear Jesus. And that gives all of us a challenge in here, but also a warm welcome. That what you hear from God's Word is not man's opinion. It is truth. And we can embrace it. That's what makes it amazing. And some of you are coming in here with a lot of sins, a lot of suffering, and you're dying for a word of hope. This is it. Romans 5, verses 17 through 21. It is an amazing text. So let us read God's Word. Let me invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Paul writes, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin came in, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we ask that as we open up your word, what a gracious moment even that is right there just to know that we have your word. Make it effectual upon our hearts by the power of the Spirit. Enlighten us. Convict us. Convince us. Challenge us. Lord, help us to see your truth, truth that powerfully works in our hearts. And we know that according to your word, none of us will leave here the same. So help us to receive it by faith. Lord Jesus, we ask all this in your name. Amen. In the very popular novel, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, One of the opening pages of the book has this quote from one of the main characters that says this. He hardly ever spoke of magic. And when he did, it was like a history lesson that no one could bear to listen to him. We've all been there. Whenever someone's talking about something very interesting, maybe even in some of our college classes or high school classes. And you think this is an amazing truth, maybe even sometimes in a sermon. And it just sounds like a boring old history lesson. But is that the way we speak about the word of the Lord? Is that the way we speak about our theology? Is that it often 
at times can just sound like a boring old history lesson that people can hardly bear to listen to. But the question is, does our theology do anything today? Does the word of the Lord do anything? Or as we could say, is there any real magic in it today? See, one of the things we need to be reminded of and what this text reminds us of is this. The story that you tell yourself is the story that shapes your self. The story you tell yourself is the story that shapes your self. What you tell yourself internally is how you will live out externally. Your thought life determines the way you live. And what God's Word says to us, what God's Word is often doing for us, is it's showing us that right thinking produces right living. But the question is, are you thinking rightly? You see, some of you might give lip service or might even mentally agree with some of God's Word, but the story you tell yourself is not the real story of Scripture. As a matter of fact, often one of the times like when we come to the confession of sin, the assurance of pardon, what is that doing? It is reminding us of the true story because all of us come in here with our sins and we have the temptation to think maybe God won't forgive me. But we need to be reminded of the true story, the story that does something, the story that has power, the story that's not just a boring old history lesson. You see, there are really two stories in the world today. There's the story of the first Adam, and there's the story of the second Adam. And everyone in this room, everyone in Bartlesville, everyone in Oklahoma, everyone in the world is living out one of two stories. You are either living out the story of the first Adam, or you are living out the story of the second Adam. That's what Paul is talking about here. So first, let us look at... The story of the first Adam. Look at verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, talking about Adam, the first man in the very beginning. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. What is Paul talking about here? What Paul is talking about is that in the very beginning when God made the world, he made the first man Adam and he made what's called a covenant with him. An oath-binding promise that Adam would represent all of humanity that would come after him. That essentially our fate rested with him. And it was based on him and how he would live out God's mission, whether there would be blessing or curses. But we know from Genesis 3, it didn't go very well. And that's how the world is the way the world is. The story of the first Adam has erupted through this world. That's the story that the world is living out. And what the first thing it tells us about this story is that it is a story of death devastating us. You see it right there in verse 17. Because of his trespass, because of his sin, death reigned. Now that word reign is really interesting. The word reign is used 87 times in the books of First and Second Chronicles in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Now, the book of Chronicles, which is really one book, it's all about kings. You see, what Paul is saying here 
is that if you are not a Christian, you are still under the first Adam. You're still in that story. Death is your king. That's the reality. You see, in the very classic movie, Remember the Titans, uh, Denzel Washington talks to two of his star players before getting on the bus to go to preseason practice. And he looks at Gary Bertier and his friend. And he says, once you get on that bus, you ain't got no mama no more. You got your brothers on the team and you got your daddy. Now, you know who your daddy is, don't you? Gary, if you want to play on this football team, you answer me when I ask you, who is your daddy? Who's your daddy, Gary? You remember that classic scene? Gary has to say, you are. You see, one of the things we, we see here is that that is actually a great example what happens to us because Adam brought us onto that bus of sin. Adam brought us onto that bus of death. Death is now our daddy. Death is our king. Death rules over us. That's the story of this first Adam. And what is death? Death is life apart from God that shrivels up every area of life. We die towards God immediately when Adam sinned. That relationship was severed. We die towards others. We die towards the world. We die even towards self. We begin to die physically, mentally, emotionally. We're dead spiritually, and it will eventually lead to death eternally. When you go to a funeral, that reminds you that the story of the first Adam is still true. Death is in this world. Bodies break down because of death. Emotions are out of whack because of death. Marriages break up because of death, because of the story of the first Adam. Make no mistake about it. This is what we call a biblical worldview. When you look out in the world today and you see death on the news, death in relationships, death in society, don't wonder why it's there. It's here because of Adam's sin and because of us living out that sin. And your story, if you're in the first Adam, is that death devastates us like a destructive disease. Secondly, the story of Adam means that condemnation controls. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass trespass led to condemnation for all men. That's the second part of the story of the first Adam is that his sin leads to condemnation. That condemnation, it controls us. It follows us around everywhere like that Charlie Brown rain cloud, right? Everywhere where he would go, just that, that rain cloud that's just is always over him, right? That is you if you're not a believer. You have condemnation hanging over you. Condemnation means punishment. It means judgment. It means you are charged with a guilty verdict. When David sinned against Bathsheba, he tried to ignore the condemnation. You know how he tried to do it? It's often what we do today. We just try to forget about it. We try to let time heal. And we just try to bury it and forget about it and ignore it. But then after a year, God, out of grace and mercy, sent his prophet Nathan. He told him a parable and he showed how David was actually the hypocrite. And here's what Nathan said to David. He said in 2 Samuel 11, you are the man. You are the sinner. And that is what the story of the first Adam tells you and me. You are it. 
And you can't escape it. No matter how much you try to hide your sin, no matter how much you try to ignore it, no matter how much good you try to do, no matter how much conviction you try to feel for your sin, there is still condemnation hanging over you. Condemnation of Adam's first sin and then condemnation of our own sins as we live that out. Paul has actually laid out that argument earlier in the book of Romans in chapters 1 verse 18 going all the way through chapter 3 verse 20. And he basically puts all of us in the courtroom and he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not your neighbor, you. And one of the things we often do whenever we hear sermons, we say, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that sermon. (laughs) Here's the thing. You're here to hear this. Numbers 32, 23 is frighteningly true. Be sure your sin will find you out. I remember hearing Rico Tice come all the way from London to preach to us at RTS Jackson. And he quoted that verse in one of his sermons about 20 times. Be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure of it. That's your story in the first Adam. That's your story. And no matter how much you try to hide it, no matter how much you try to ignore it, it will be revealed. Everything that is hidden in darkness will be revealed in the light. Yes, even especially that thing that you've tried to forget about for years, hoping that no one else will know. If you are not a believer, be sure your sin will find you out. That's your story. That's my story if if we're not Christians. Third thing about the first Adam's story comes in verse 19. Look at it. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That sin, Adam's sin, brings what we call depravity. And that depravity destroys you. You might say, well, my sin isn't that bad, right? That one look at pornography, that affair that one time, that one time of drunkenness or that time of gluttony or my anger exploding upon other people or the pride that I harbor or that time of gossip. It's not really that bad. God just needs to lighten up. Well, how do you think that argument stands up when you actually look at the fact that Adam eating one piece of fruit resulted in the world seeing terrorism, financial theft, Government oppression, divorce, murder, deadly disease. We go on and on. You really think your sin is not that bad? Or even more so, does that argument even stand up when you look at the Son of God upon the cross as He takes your sins and you would dare to have the audacity to say and look at Him and say, well, you didn't really need to do that. It's not that bad. That'd be like looking at the survivors of D-Day and saying, well, war is not that bad. Brothers and sisters, we don't understand the half of how bad our sin is. We don't understand the half of how bad merely the desires of our hearts are. Fourthly, this story of the first Adam It tells us in verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass. You see, the law under the first Adam, 
it lashes out on you like the worst form of a slave driver. That's your story. And no wonder in the world today, just think about it. Look at the world. We can't escape the law. Paul has made that argument in chapters 1 and chapters 2 and chapters 3. Paul says, look, you can't escape the law. Here's one of the interesting things going on in society today. You know, we're doing this whole, well, I need to look within to find myself movement. It's this self-esteem movement. Well, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, when you look within, what do you find? The law. The law tells you to do. The law tells you to be enough. And so whether you look within or whether you look without, all you find is the law and it will always tell you you are not enough. No wonder the world today in our culture, we see people running and trying to go through all these different lifestyles or constantly changing their personality or the way they dress or their sexual orientation because they're trying to do anything they can to be enough. But you're never going to find it. The law tells us to do, but when it tells us to do, it does nothing within us. There's a lady who called the police saying she had a skunk in her house. The police told her to leave the door open and make a trail of bread crumbs from the, the room to the outside and surely the skunk will leave. Well, you can probably guess what happened. Another skunk came into the house. Now she had two skunks in there. You see, the police told her to do something and she tried to do it, but it only made her problem worse. That's what the law does for us under the first Adam. The law tells you to do and it commands you. But when you try to do it under your own power, it only makes things worse. The law tells old Adam to do, but it only condemns. It tells us to do enough. Isn't that one of the reasons why we're so busy. You know, it wasn't long ago when you would ask people, hey, how are you doing? You say, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty good. But now it seems within the past maybe five to ten years, maybe even shorter, where now we say, well, how are you doing? We say, oh, I'm busy. We write on our Christmas cards and we say, well, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're busy. Why do we always say we're busy? Why do we want to be busy? Because we think that if we're busy, it tells people that we are enough. We try to be enough in even our romance, in our marriages. We try to be enough in our parenting. We try to be enough in our work. We try to be enough in our politics. But here's the thing. When we look at it, we will realize we are never enough. And that's merely just looking in the world the way the world works. There's a woman named Asena O'Neill who was an Australian uh, supermodel and she had garnered half a million or over half a million followers on Instagram. And then all of a sudden one day she just quit. She had these sponsors. She had all these things. And she said in her reflection, she said, 16 year old me would have looked at my situation and said, you are living the life. But she quit social media altogether. Why? Because she realized that she would never be enough. She wanted just another like, another like, another like. The half a million people liking you wasn't enough. The law tells us how different we are from God. This isn't just a personality difference. Like God is some sort of like Enneagram 10. And that's not my Enneagram or he's a Myers-Briggs whatever. No, no, no. 
The difference between you and God is a principal difference. It is a pivotal difference. It is a difference that if I can use this word accurately, the difference between you and God is a difference that damns you. You see that? The law tells us that sin only increases. You look at the law and you say, okay, I'm going to try to do it. But when you really look at it and you really do it, think about this. Do not covet. How are you doing on your Amazon app right now? Constantly looking through the Amazon app saying, what would happen in my life if I just had this? The law exposes your sinful desires. That is your story under the first Adam. We were with Grace's parents earlier in Christmas break, and Knox uh, discovered his shadow. And uh, as he was walking, he just saw this thing, and it would just always follow him around, and he would, he would try to move, stop, walk around. He would just he said, what is this thing? It's a shadow, right? You can't, you can't escape your shadow. See, that's what the law does. The law is light. And when the light of the law shines, it shows the darkness of our shadow, the darkness of our hearts. And no matter where we go, when that light shines, it shows the darkness of who we are. When you look at the law, your sin increases. But if you try to run from the law, it does you no good either because you'll never find righteousness that way. David Zoll in his book, Seculosity, says this. As recovering addicts often point out, you cannot solve a problem with the same mindset you use to create it. You see, you cannot solve the problem of your sin with the same mindset that you have by sinning. By living under the story of the first Adam, you will never be able to use that story to give you rest and peace. You see, this is your story. This is my story if you're not a believer. It's the story of the first Adam. It's the story that the world's living out today. Make no mistake about it. It's the story that you have within your your mind where you say, if I can only do this, then I'll be enough. If I can only be this, then I'll be enough. But you realize you're never going to get there. Surely there's another option. There is another option. There is another story. It's the story of the second Adam. Look back at verse 17. Watch Paul's logic here. For if, because of one man's trespass, talking about the first Adam, death reigned through that one man. Now watch this. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Amen? Much more. What Paul is saying is that as God made the first Adam a covenant head, God has also made his son another covenant head. And matter of fact, Jesus Christ was greater than the first Adam. Jesus Christ did what the first Adam could not do. Jesus Christ fulfilled the covenant of works so that you and I might enter into the covenant of grace. Jesus was righteous when Adam sinned. Jesus spread forth the mission of God when Adam failed. Jesus is the one who is the true and greater Adam. And in him, we can have another story. A story that talks about in verse 17, where life is now Lord. 
Look at, the, look at those words where it says, much more. Jesus doesn't just say like, hey, Adam did this. Well, let me just match that, right? You know, sometimes uh, what businesses will, will, will sometimes do, they'll say, hey, if you give this much money, we'll, we'll match that. Jesus doesn't match the first Adam. He does much more than the first Adam. Amen? Come on now, you can't make this up. He does much more. Now, why is it much more? Think about this. Well, Jesus is not merely a man. He is like you and me in every single way, yet without sin. But he isn't only man. He is God. He has infinite worth, infinite value, infinite being. And so what he does, God does. When he accrues righteousness for us, that righteousness is of infinite value. Jesus Christ, when he is righteous, he, he gives us life where life is now Lord's. So much more. It's kind of like this. You go to five guys. You ask for fries. And you're like, no, no, no I just want a small order of fries. They don't give you a small order of fries. <laughs> They give you more fries than you know what to do with, right? They give you a bag full of fries and you're sitting here thinking like, do I save this for Thanksgiving or what do I do? <laughs> when Jesus Christ, when you, when you receive Jesus Christ, you don't just get the amount that you need. He gives you way more than all that you know what to do with. He gives you himself. And when it says much more, Look at it. Will those who receive the abundance of grace, what does that word receive mean? Well, it's actually, the Greek word means exactly what the hymn writer says when he says this. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's what it means to receive. And doesn't it seem like an easy answer? Why would you want the story of the first Adam when you can have the story of the second Adam? Life. You see, the story of the second Adam is that actually now when you come to a funeral, if that person is a believer, that's not the end of their story. It's like a Marvel movie. You get a Marvel movie and you watch the movie and you see the end credits and you think like, oh, well, surely this is the end. You see people walk out. But if you've seen Marvel movies, you're looking at these people and you're like, where are you going? It's not over. There's more to come. Yes, that's the story of the second Adam. That when you die, death is not the end. Death is a doorway into eternal life. That's the story of the second Adam. That's the story we can have. Secondly, the story of the second Adam, the story of Jesus, is that because he was righteous, acquittal for us is accomplished. I'm trying to use a bunch of alliteration, so bear with me. Look at verse 18. Acquittal, forgiveness is accomplished. For therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. It's not an if, it is an is. If you are in Jesus Christ, acquittal for you is not if. Forgiveness is not offered to you in the future or forgiveness merely for the past. Forgiveness is the state that is always present for you. It is always yours. You see, justification means to be declared forgiven of all my sins and to be declared positively righteous in Christ for Christ's sake alone. 
We'll talk about the positive part in a second. But first off, the forgiveness part. One of the things we need to realize about this is that God's word is not God's, just, just God's opinion. Do you hear me? God's word is not just God's opinion. Where we say, well, that's your opinion, but I have a different opinion. God's word isn't even just merely truth. It is truth. God's word is reality. When God declares that you are forgiven, you are forgiven. Amen? Some of you need to hear that. Sometimes I just got to preach that to myself. When God's word declares you are forgiven, it is a word that is a reality. When God looked at the expanse of nothingness in the very beginning, he said, let there be. And what does Genesis say? And it was. When you come to Jesus Christ and you confess your sins, 1 John 1.9 says that he will forgive you of all your sins and all your unrighteousness. That's your reality. Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker say this. So when a person comes to faith in Christ, not only are their sins forgiven by God, but he obliterates them. He wipes them out. He erases them to never again be remembered against them. Do you think we need to hear that message today? When we're constantly searching people's past, it's amazing. There's one wide receiver, sorry for the football analogy. There's one wide receiver who ran a really fast uh, 40 time for the NFL combine. And that meant that he was surely going to be a first round draft pick. And someone very sarcastically tweeted, but yet it was true. Well, I guess now it's time. Let's go search this guy's Twitter history to see what ridiculous tweet he did when he was 10 years old so we can cancel him. Here's here's the reason why people are giving up on Christianity and abandoning Christianity today. We are not proclaiming the fullness of forgiveness in our Savior. And people don't know where to go. There is no mistake about it. People are dying to know that there can be forgiveness. And that's the reason why they keep going from lifestyle to lifestyle, from, from sexual orientation to orientation, because they're trying to find how they can be enough, but they'll never be enough, and that's why they need to hear forgiveness. You see, this is the hardest thing for us to remember, though, isn't it? This seems to be the epicenter where Satan just throws all of his army at. Roland Bainton, the famous biographer for Martin Luther, talked about how hard it was for Luther to believe in the forgiveness of God for him. That's something Luther actually struggled with. So you're in good company. And Luther described the sense of prevailing and powerful doubt of God's forgiveness. He called it unfectungen. And what we could summarize it is that it's this spiritual anxiety, spiritual shame, spiritual depression that just hounds us. Roland Bainton says that this onfectung, and it may be a trial sent by God to test man or an assault by the devil to destroy man. It is all the doubt, turmoil, pang, tremor, panic, despair, desolation, and desperation which invades the spirit of man. Have you been there? You've been reminded of maybe some of the things in the past that 
you really did give to the Lord, but it just seems like it just hounds your mind and you don't feel that forgiveness, that's it. Satan tries to do all it takes to take our eyes off of Jesus. One author says that this was one of the things that Luther struggled with so much. And Luther recognizes that the devil is a skilled and clever. Now listen to this language. It's the same language Paul is using. Luther recognizes that the devil is a skilled and clever attorney. Capable of producing embarrassing and condemning evidence to convict the sinner. That's the language right there. That's the language of scripture. Satan loves to be a false lawyer, a false prosecutor against you. And he is constantly pointing the finger and he's trying to bring back up these things that have been forgiven by Jesus Christ. And what you have to remember is you have to go back into the courtroom of God and say, it is finished. It's been forgiven. I am justified. That's the truth. One psychiatrist has said, I could dismiss half of my patients if I could just look them in the eye and give them the assurance that they are forgiven. You see, this is what we need. This is what our culture needs. We need more of the gospel. It's one of the reasons why I'm just so eager to tell students who, it's just, you know, sometimes you have a student and sometimes you can just tell whenever something's on their heart. (laughs) You know, you they don't, they don't tell you, and no one else has told you, but you can just tell they're just something's weighing them down. And so often, I just want to be like, will you just say it so I can just remind you of what's true of you in Christ? This is, this is the reality for you. There is forgiveness for you, and you need to embrace it. The story of the second Adam doesn't merely mean we're forgiven. It also means we're positively justified. We're justified In Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Declared righteous. As righteous as the Son of God. Imagine that. As righteous as the infinitely righteous one. You see, I remember when I was in elementary school during homecoming week, you do all these festivities for homecoming week, and so one of the things we did is you dressed up as your favorite hero. So one of the things I did is I was a big Auburn football fan living in Montgomery, Alabama, and there's a, a former uh, uh, person who went to our high school. Uh, he, he had gone on to play football at Auburn, and so I said, I'm going to make Brett Evans' jersey. So I pulled out this undershirt and started drawing, and yeah, number 94, Auburn, Evans, you know, all those things. Well, his mom found out about it, and he found out about it. And so I go to school in this little bit, you know, rinky-dink undershirt, and I'm, and I'm, of course, I'm thinking, I'm like, this is the best. And uh, I come to school, and they say, hey, you need to come to the office. I go to the office, and Brett Evans had sent his game-worn jersey, the real thing. For me to wear as an elementary school. Now, what was really funny is that it was like a dress, and I was like, you know, kind of like waddled through his shoes. He was a defensive end. But that, that's, that's what it is right there. Do you know what that did for me that day? Man, I was walking around. Of course, I was waddling around. But I'm, I'm moving around thinking like, my man, this is it. I am Brett Evans. Like, you're going to look at me like, like I'm him. You're going to treat me like I'm him. This is it. Isn't that the picture of Jesus Christ's righteousness for us? Here's the thing. When you become a Christian, you can stop trying to be a spiritual tailor 
a tailor who makes clothes. That's what they did back in the garden when Adam and Eve knew they were sinful. What they try to do, the first thing they try to do is cover their nakedness. When you come to Jesus Christ, stop trying to cover yourself. He clothes you. And he clothes you with the real thing. That's the story you have in him. Is that not amazing? This is, this is the identity. This is the riches. This is the grace we have. And that's what it says in verse 20. Now, when the law came in, that sin increased. But here's what's amazing. Grace abounded all the more. Now, you might not see it, but actually, in some translations, you might see that it says sin increased and grace increased all the more. But actually, those are two different Greek words. When it says that sin increased, it means that sin filled up. It's almost like, uh, I don't have it up here, but if you had a cup, and let's say you are the cup. When Adam sinned, and when you came into being, you, you sinned in Adam, sin fills you up like it fills up a cup. That's what it means for sin to increase. Now, what it means for grace to abound, here's what it means. It's as if you take that cup of your life, and you go and put it in the bottom of the Marianas Trench. That cup is filled up, is it not? But if that cup is overflowing... A cup is like five guys' fries. You get, more than, you get more than you know what to do with. That's the grace of Jesus Christ for you. And some of you need to hear this morning that grace is greater than your sins. This is not God's opinion. This is not just my opinion. This is God's reality for you. For you. And see, it's that story. It's that story that we tell ourselves. It's that story that shapes our self. That story has real power. That story, we could say, has real magic. Jesus Christ is the supreme reality. See, but we know that there are people in here, including me. Don't we struggle to believe this? There are really four different types of people. First off, there's the person who... Their life isn't going very well, but they don't know it. Maybe sinful patterns have crept back into your life because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. Or maybe you've started to go back to functioning as if you are under the law and you just are trying to do and do and do. And you either become very self-righteous or you're in self-despair. Or Maybe you have that onfectungen that Luther had. Maybe you've... Under this category, you've just fallen to be self-obsessed. And all you're doing is just listening to what the culture is constantly telling you. It's just look at yourself, look at yourself, look at yourself. And maybe you're an unbeliever and you're also in this category. And you do not realize how deep the law goes. How much it exposes your sin. And you might not feel sinful, but God sees your sin. And it will be judged. And one of the things you need to hear is that the law will crush you. This is why this type of person, you've got to put your eyes on Christ. You've got to take your eyes off of yourself and you have to realize that the story of the first Adam, it will only curse you. But the story of the second Adam will give you life. There's a second type of person Things in your life still are not going well, but at least you know it. You've taken your eyes off of Jesus, but at least maybe you've been convicted by other people or you have been convicted by yourself. 
Maybe you also know that things aren't going well and you, you are in a season of, of spiritual depression, as Martin Lloyd-Jones would call it. That onfectungen, as Luther would call it. Maybe your life feels like God is just getting you back for your past sins or your present sin struggles. You've neglected the means of grace and, and hearing the truth that is in God's word. Or maybe even this, maybe you're in a state where you're struggling with an addiction. Uh, I've had many students who have struggled with addictions. And one particular student that I'm thinking about is a student who was a believer. And he had been struggling with this pornography addiction for years. And one of the biggest things, one of the biggest problems about this student was that he may have said he believed the story of the second Adam, but he was really functioning under the story of the first Adam. And he needed to be reminded that there's more power, more mercy, more grace, more holiness in the second Adam that is real and true for him. And do you know what happened? The more he dove into the scriptures, the more he looked at and he soaked in the means of grace and he realized this is true for me. Guys, he's not addicted anymore. Amen? Amen. Now, it doesn't just happen like that. It varies in all these different circumstances. But for every person who's struggling with an addiction, the solution is always the same, even though there might be other things that need to become alongside of it. But always, always the solution is look at the story that you have in the second Adam. He is powerful. Let him do his work. It might take time. But let him do his work. It's also the third type of person who things are, things are actually going well, but you don't know it. You're in that season of onfectungen and you just feel as if God is not at work. It feels as if you're not really forgiven. And maybe one of the things that you do in this season is that you've had to go to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But maybe for you, that's the hardest thing in the world to believe. And it just feels as if it's not true. It feels as if you're, you just can't get over it. You haven't done enough. You haven't been sorry enough. You haven't repented enough or whatever enough it is. But one of the things the Lord is doing in your life right now is he's making you come to scripture like this and to say, Lord, give me faith to believe it. God is at work in that moment. Matter of fact, God is actually giving you the faith to believe it in that moment. See, sometimes these seasons of life where we just don't feel forgiven drive us to his word and say, Lord, remind me that this is true. That's why you come to worship on Sunday mornings. There's a fourth type of person where things are going well and they do know it. You're not perfect by any means, but you're running to scripture. You're running to the story of the second Adam. You're trying to remind yourself and others of this great story. And you are, as Chad Van Dixhorn has said, you realize that the forgiveness of sins is the happiness of the Christian. And if you're in this fourth category, what you need to do in this church and in this town and everywhere you go, is you need to remind people the story of the second Adam. Bring them into it. Show them what's true. That's what this world needs today. Amen? My dad for Christmas gave me a compass this cool, polished, wooden compass. <clears throat> and when you open it up, on, the, on kind of the, the part that comes up, 
there's writing on it and it says, keep him, talking about Jesus, keep him as your true north. Well, it's no mistake that my dad is also a very skilled uh, deep sea fisherman uh, as he goes into the Gulf of Mexico. And one of the things he knows is that you better remember where north is. Right? Because if you can't find north, you can't find home. And here's the thing. So many of you are looking for home. But you're never going to find home if you don't find north. You're never going to find home if, you, if you're just constantly trying to live out the story of the first Adam. You will only find home if you live out the story of the second Adam. And that's yours. That is yours in Jesus Christ and it's all for free. Believe it. It is true for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a word we have from you. What an amazing truth we have in Jesus Christ. There's just, frankly, no one like him. And we ask that you would grant us the faith to believe it. And as we believe it, that you would change us internally and that you would change us as we go forth in our, in our cities, in our neighborhoods. And oh God, help us to see the redemption that the, second, that the story of the second Adam brings. We thank you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We come now to our...